Welcome to Inside the Match, where Alex and Simone talk residency applications. We are two residents here to help you navigate the match. For each podcast, we'll bring you residents from various specialties and backgrounds to give advice. So today we are super excited to have a PM&R attending. Thanks so much for joining us, Dr. Wazowski. Hey, thank you uh, for having me, Simone, and congratulations to you on this podcast that really helps so many people. Thank you. Well, we are excited to learn more about the PM&R application and residency interview process. So where are you an attending physician and what is your position? Sure. So I'm in Washington, D.C. Our residency program is the MedStar Health Georgetown National Rehab Hospital PM&R residency program. That's a mouthful, but it describes all of our affiliations. Uh, and I'm the residency program director there. And my uh, clinical area of expertise is cancer rehabilitation. So we like to start our podcast with some rapid fire questions to learn more about you during your application to PM&R. So were you AOA in medical school? No, I was not. Were you gold humanism? No, I was not. And can you share like any funny interview stories or deficiencies in your own residency application when you were applying to PM&R? Yeah, I, I mean, I think I had many deficiencies. So, you know, I, I think I'm a, a good person uh, for the underdog, if you will. Uh, you know, I, my academics were not the best uh, for medical school. My USMLEs, I passed them. They were, uh, they were okay. Uh, and, you know, I think uh, one interesting part of my application is I was a military physician. Um, so I had kind of a gap in my training. I was uh, about three to four years out of medical school when I started applying for residency because of my military service. Uh, and I think that was one of the parts of my application that either worked for me or against me. I think some people liked it, some people didn't, uh, but it all worked out for me really well in the end. That's so helpful to learn because so many people have such varied paths to go into medicine and to get into their field of training. So that's the truth. What makes a competitive PM&R applicant? Yeah, it's always a tough question. And, you know, I think our field has been borne out to be one of the more diverse fields of medicine in terms of different personality types, et cetera. So it can be hard to generalize. Uh, but, you know, if there's a few things I want to highlight, number one, just demonstrated passion, interest, knowledge, and experience in the field. Uh, when you interview, programs really want to feel like you truly know what PM&R is all about that you have that passion, uh, you're really able to demonstrate that in your interviews. And I think having the right personality type. So I think in general, people in PM&R uh, like to see applicants that have strong people skills uh, that they know are gonna interact well with uh, such a wide variety of challenging patients that we take care of uh, and just well-rounded. You know, I think it's hard to say for PM&R, the most important thing is research or leadership or community service. You know, all those things can be important. So what I always tell applicants is, you know, run towards what you're good at, what you're most passionate about. You don't have to have everything under the sun on your CV. Uh, but if you have a few things that you're really passionate about that you've done a lot with, I think that will really shine through on your application. Well, one thing that I've learned through being a resident physician is that PM&R is always nice. So when you make a consult, they're always so warm, friendly, and really engaged and excited about teaching. Well, that's nice to hear. I'd like to think so. <laughs> so when applying, personal statements can be really stressful to start writing. So I'm curious if you have any recommendations for brainstorming some topics for PM&R. 
Yeah, it's a tough one. And, you know, I, uh, those who know me in the program director world know, know I like to make hot takes, but, you know, one of my hot takes I often say about personal statements is that the majority of them end up being non-differentiators for me when I'm reviewing applications, meaning, you know, they sort of blend in with each other. And then there's a small portion that really stand out in a good way and a small portion that really stand out in a not so good way. Uh, but what, what I always tell people is just tell your story. Uh, and I think really a story is what's always the most compelling. Uh, and I know people always want the dramatic story. You know, not a, everyone has that. Um, but just tell us who you are, you know, what you're all about, why you're here. Tell us that story. Maybe use a specific example. You know, don't just say you're a hard worker. Tell us a story about, you know, that work that you put in and, and where that's gotten you. You know, don't just tell us you care about your patients. Tell us a story about a patient. Uh, so I think really, if your personal statement is story-based, it's going to be really compelling. We're going to want to read it, and we'll really have an opportunity to get to know you better. That's what will really help us as program directors. That's really great to know. And, you know, when applying, some of us tend to over-apply and apply to as many PM&R programs or any specialty across the country because we're worried about getting in. And so I'm curious if you have any suggestions for the number of PM&R programs that applicants should be applying to. Yeah, it's always such a difficult question. And, you know, with a lot of these kind of statistical questions, I always really try to refer students to the NRMP match data, because um, that's where you're going to really find the hard data about things like how many uh, interviews, you know, successful applicants went on, what were their USMLE scores, how many research uh, experiences did they have, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so if you look at the data, uh, typically, those who are successful in the PM&R match tend to uh, interview at about 13 to 14 programs really is sort of the max of what increases your likelihood of success. So I often tell people that's a great goal if you can get 13 to 14 interviews. Uh, in terms of how many programs you need to apply to to get that many interviews, it's such a tough question. You know, it's going to vary from applicant to applicant. I mean, I think you do want to have someone give you a really honest assessment of your application. Just how competitive do you think I am? Uh, you know, do you think I'll be offered a lot of interviews? Uh, you know, if you think the answer is no, you may want to apply for to a few more. Uh, if you, if someone's telling you you're an absolute superstar and you believe that to be true, um, you know, you may need to apply to you know less. Uh, but you know, unfortunately, uh, you know, overapplication is a big problem. You know, we all want to do really holistic view of applications, which I do. Uh, but the over-application issue is a real barrier to that. You know, if everyone's applying to every program, it really makes it much harder for us to give each person's application uh, its due diligence. So in order to apply to those programs that we think we might be the best fit at, what are some way for applicants to learn more about specific programs? Yeah, you know, obviously this past year, the pandemic's been, you know, a bad year. I think it's safe to say that, but good things have come out of it, right? And, you know, one of those is, you know, our virtual world and an expansion of available online resources. So I think, you know, a lot of programs have really made a lot of effort over the last year to uh, enhance their web presence, enhance their social media presence, uh, do things like virtual open houses. You know, all those things uh, are very, very helpful. Uh, 
And then, you know, you have your other resources, obviously student doctor network. Uh, I know that students are now interviewing programs, uh, I'm sorry, uh, posting reviews uh, of their interview days on Reddit. I read them, so I know what people are saying about our program. Uh, and, I, you know, I think pooling all of that data can be really helpful, uh, obviously word of mouth uh, and talking to people. And, you know, it's gonna be a common theme uh, of, you know, some of my answers today, but, you know, reach out, reach out, reach out, reach out. Do not be afraid to reach out to a program, an alumni from a program, somebody who knows somebody at the program, just get as much data as you can, uh, and then you'll be in the know. So sometimes we aren't even sure how to reach out or if it's even appropriate to reach out to a program director throughout the interview cycle or even a resident. So I'm curious if you have any ways for us to reach out and show interest in a program. Yeah, I, if I didn't say this before, reach out, reach out, reach out. <laughs> uh, so yeah, do not be afraid to reach out. You know, I was just uh, in preparing for this recording, I was listening to your uh, previous podcast with an internal medicine program director. Uh, who astutely noted that you know program directors do get a lot of messages during application season um, so you know some program directors may not get back to you if you reach out and you know if so that's okay it's 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 no harm done if you will but a lot of them will uh, i will quote uh, simone bernstein by saying pm and r doctors are very nice uh, so i think you know a lot of us will respond to the emails i respond to every email that comes to me uh, and, you know, when people reach out, you know, I definitely appreciate it. Uh, you know, it depends on the timing. Sometimes if we're late in interview season and people are saying, you know, can I still have an interview? Sometimes that's a bit too late. Um, but if it's early on, you know, before the season starts, I, I love hearing from people uh, who seem really, really excited about our program uh, and want to learn about us uh, and, you know, use the different uh, media, uh, you know, channels of communication, emails you'll see on program websites, uh, social media is an option nowadays for programs. You know, you'll find residents that uh, belong to certain programs. Don't be afraid to reach out to them. Sometimes that's even better because um, they may provide you more unfiltered information. Uh, you know, nowadays when I have students meet with me and they ask me like, what should I do to be successful? I'm really telling everyone to get on social media. Uh, you know, if, if not, to use it to reach out to people, you know, at least just for information, because there's just so much information on there. Um, and the last thing I would say is uh, a personalized personal statement helps. I think a lot of programs are looking for that nowadays. Uh, you want to be careful that it's not too generic. You know, I've seen some that say, you know, and I'm applying to your program because I know blank Georgetown will provide me the best training. That's generic. There's nothing specific about my program. Um, but if you're writing something that's really specific, that's compelling, that tells me why you want to come train with us, uh, that can go a long way. It's only important, though, to at least upload the correct statement to the right program when you're applying and personalizing it in that way. That is the stressful thing. I agree. You have to be super careful. So one other stressful component of this whole application process is an interview. So I'm curious what a typical PM&R residency interview looks like and any tips for helping to prepare for those interviews. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I mentioned the heterogeneity of the field before, and, and I think that plays out with interviews. But, you know, the majority of applicants that I talk to and my current residents that, you know, recently went through recruitment, really tell me that the vast majority of their PM&R interviews were very relaxed, 
enjoyable conversations about the field. Um, so you will, you're going to enjoy your interviews. You're getting really for the first time to talk to tons and tons of people who have the same uh, professional passions that you do uh, and, and you will enjoy it, but you don't want to let your guard down because you still can get, uh, you know, more challenging questions, et cetera. So, uh, you know, you want to be ready for those as well. Uh, for better or worse, some people have told me my interview may be a little bit harder than others. Um, you know, I'm really trying to get to know uh, how a person ticks, you know, really their code of ethics, you know, what kind of work ethic they have. So, you know, I tend to ask uh, behavioral interview questions and situational judgment questions. You know, what would you do in this type of scenario? Not clinical, I never ask clinical questions, but more ethical kind of scenarios. So I have a better uh, framework of your code of ethics. Uh, and there's some common ones. I mean, if anyone Googles behavioral interview questions, situational judgment, you'll find some common ones. So you can just kind of think through them. Uh, but what I always think is, you know, if you're a good person with a code of ethics, uh, you probably don't need to prep very much because you probably have a good answer in your brain and your heart uh, to these questions. So I think even for those, uh, they shouldn't uh, have to make you terribly nervous either. And some of us wonder, we have this whole gigantic ERAS application and we have lots of research, work experience, volunteer experiences and hobbies that are listed. Do you find that a lot of people will ask about specific elements of the ERAS? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think that the most common thing is that people are going to ask about what they find interesting. So, you know, if you have a research project that aligns with their area of interest, you know, they're probably going to ask you about it. Uh, it's funny, this past year, I heard a lot of people talking about how every interview they were asked about their hobbies. So make sure you have a good list of hobbies, uh, <laughs> which, you know, I don't necessarily ascribe to, you know, your list of hobbies should be, you know, the truth of who you are. Uh, but, you know, people may ask about that. Uh, you know, for me personally, I don't really ask a ton of CV related questions. Uh, you know, for me, I can read your CV. Um, what I can't read is who you are. So, you know, in an interview, <clears throat> I'm less interested in hearing you recite the details of your research project. I'm just much more interested in really trying to get to know what kind of person you are. So now I'm curious, you know, you talk about your interview being a little bit more difficult than others, but it does sound like you're really getting to know a person. And through all of these interviews and all of these applications that you've read, what are some pitfalls that some applicants seem to make that we should try to avoid? Yeah, I mean, I think a few things come to mind. The number one thing that popped in my head is make sure you've read your dean's letter. Um, your school should provide you a copy of your dean's letter to review before it's released. And I've definitely seen students make that mistake of not reading it thoroughly. Uh, and you'd be surprised. I mean, there might be one kind of lukewarm to negative comment from some random rotation you did a year and a half ago that someone might ask you on your interview. You know, I see on your psychiatry rotation, they said your body language was disinterested. Uh, what are your thoughts about that? Uh, and if you hadn't seen that before, wow, you are going to be really thrown off. Um, so I think it's really, really important to be aware of those things, be prepared to have an answer to them. Um, you know, this ties into another pitfall is like own up to anything that's sort of a red flag or negative on your application. You know, don't be defensive. Don't make excuses. You know, the right answer is always 
you know, I learned a lot from that situation and it's really helped me with X, Y, and Z moving forward. Um, and that's going to really show that you're thoughtful, you know, you're open to feedback. You're going to continue to grow because that's what we want from you as a resident. We want you to grow uh, every day. Uh, and then, you know, along those lines with the Dean's letter is just, you know, another pitfall is I think some students really think that, you know, all I have to do is kick butt on the rotation that's applicable to my specialty choice. Uh, but we really look at the comments from all your rotations. And for me, one of the big criteria for the type of person I'm looking for my program is someone who puts their effort into all their learning experiences. So if I see someone is demonstrating selective effort, where it seems like they're not putting their all into certain rotations, uh, but really putting their all into other ones, that to me is a concern. So that's something that's in your control. Put your all into all of your rotations so you have great comments on your Dean's letter. Um, the last one I'll just say is enthusiasm on interview day. Interview season is rough, it gets exhausting. Uh, within the scope of one interview day, it gets really exhausting by the end of the day. Um, but try your best to keep those energy, you know, your energy high. Uh, you know, it's tough when you interview an applicant who just really seems like they don't want to be there. Uh, you know, quick story. I had an applicant uh, this past season uh, who I interviewed towards the end of the day. And I said, how's your day been going? And this applicant said, oh, it's going. And which, you know, I say, oh, it's going when I'm like doing yard work all day or something. Not when I'm interviewing at a place where I, where I want to train. So, you know, you have to keep up that enthusiasm because uh, that will really uh, reflect positively on you. So some of us may be really excited or enthused about PM&R, but we may not have a home program at our medical school. So I'm curious if you have more tips for people to learn more about the field or find a mentor in PM&R. I know you mentioned definitely reaching out to people on social media is key, but are there any organizations that we should be a part of? Simone, you stole my answer of reach out. How, how dare you? Um, yes. So there's some formal mechanisms uh, where people can really make some uh, very meaningful connections through our national organizations. Uh, PM&R's two main national organizations, the American Academy of Physical Medicine and Rehab and the Association for Academic Physiatrists, uh, both have formal mentor programs that are very easy to apply to and get paired with a mentor. Um, that really, you know, once you develop this relationship is really required to meet with you regularly and be there for you. So I really strongly recommend students uh, look into those mentor programs. Uh, you know, as I said, you know, try to engage on social media. Uh, there's an amazing uh, group that formed in the last two years called PM&R Scholars, which was really a grassroots effort by students uh, to really organize uh, and create a group that does research projects together uh, social media engagement, uh, talks, et cetera, et cetera, uh, and is a great resource for connecting people to mentorship. Uh, and, you know, you wouldn't know about that if you weren't on social media. So it, it's another great reason to, you know, get engaged there to really find out what's going on in the PM&R world. Well, after this podcast, if PM&R applicants aren't on social media, they need to be. It's free and it's such a, an amazing opportunity, it sounds like, to connect with amazing, nice people in the field. That's what I believe in. You know, I, I definitely drink that Kool-Aid. And, uh, you know, I think some people worry a little bit about the blending of professional and personal as it pertains to social media. Uh, you know, I think it's good to have a professional focused page. And, uh, you know, it's always tricky of blurring those lines of what 
is or is not professional to post, but uh, hopefully you can find mentors or at least role modeling on social media for you know best practices uh, to do that. Definitely. Well, you've shared so many awesome ways in which we can prepare for the PM&R application journey, but are there any other tips you'd like to add about the application or residency interview process? I just think have fun. You know, I think that it's really important to let who you are shine through. Uh, and I think one of the things that I learned in the virtual uh, interview season this past year was that I did think it was harder for some applicants to relax. Uh, you know, on an in-person interview day, you have so much more time. You come in and you have some breakfast and you have some informal time in between interviews where you're chatting with people. You know, on the virtual interview day, you know, it's just that short period of time you're in the Zoom box, you know, with the other person. Um, so I think, you know, whatever techniques you can use to get yourself in an open mode of relaxation, uh, you know, you're really going to shine through and then you're going to have an opportunity to have fun. I mean, interviews can have, can be fun. I mean, I definitely had interviews with certain applicants this year that really stand out to me that like, that was just such a fun conversation. So enjoy yourself. Uh, you know, if you're spreading that joy in your interview, it's going to be infectious. Uh, the programs are going to love that. Uh, you know, let us see who you are. And, you know, the last thing is uh, you, PM&R especially is a very small field you are probably going to see these people you interview with for the rest of your career, whether you match at that program or not. Um, so use that in, as an opportunity to network, uh, meet people. Uh, who knows? Even if you don't match that program, maybe you'll work there someday. So it's a great time to make connections. Well, you have shared us with so many facts in regards to PM&R. And now we'd like to end the podcast by having you share a fun fact about yourself. So anything you'd like to share about you to learn more about what you like to do outside of PM&R? Yeah, well, the fun fact I wanted to share with you uh, that some people know about me is that I was actually a theater major in college. So I actually double majored in biology and theater. And, you know, I knew I was going to med school the whole time. Uh, and that was one of the most fun, rewarding things I ever did in my life. And you know what? Uh, we as doctors, we are pretty much always on stage. You know, <laughs> our patients are looking to us and... Uh, you know, it's good to know how to improvise. People throw a lot of curveballs at you uh, every day. I'm sure you can relate to that uh, in what you're doing with your life, Simone. Uh, so I think having some skills of being able to improvise and, you know, public speaking and those kinds of things, that was definitely very helpful in my life. So something, uh, a lot of fun in my past that I'm very proud of. That is really neat. What was your favorite play or musical to be a part of? So I think my favorite one was uh, I was in a Russian play called The Government Inspector in which I got to play a judge whose name was Amos Fyodorovich Lyapkin Tiapkin. <laughs> what a name. Incredible. Great name. Well, that's all the time we have today with Dr. Wazowski. Thanks you for joining us at Inside the Match. Special thanks to Kevin McCoy for the music and be sure to follow or subscribe to our podcast. Catch our next podcast to learn more application tips and hear from another awesome leader in medical education.